Thanks for listening to a YPC podcast. We believe God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we'd love to hear about it. Take a second to send your story to office at ypcprior.com and enjoy the message today. My name is Nathan Bedford. If you don't know who I am, um, it might be because you sit in this section and I'm normally in the drum cage and you probably can't see it very well. That's where I normally am. But um, this week I'm out here, I'm with you guys, and um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. A little, little bit about myself, I'm 25. Um, most people, my identity to most people is just my mustache. They, they just objectify me for my looks, and, um, and I love basketball. And so that's where I am, I'm here, and um, you lucky ducks get to spend like 30 minutes with me. So it's the third week of our Who Am I series. And I think, did I say that right? Yeah, okay. Whew. I, I've been saying who I am and who am I in my head, and it's all, it's all topsy-turvy now. All right, so it's our third week of our Who Am I series, and the first two have been unreal. They've been so good. Pastor Darian talked about who, who am I when I'm insecure and who am I when I'm not enough, and um, I don't know about you guys because you're probably all better and holier than me, but those two messages really spoke to me. And so if you've missed either of those weeks, I encourage you, go back, look them up, listen to them, because they have been so, so good. But this week, while Pastor Darian is, is off and, and I'm here, we decided to take it easy, okay? Pastor's out of town. He's not out of town, actually, he was here. He was here last service. I don't know why I said that. All right, but he's gone, so we're going to relax, we're going to chill. It's okay, just, just sip your coffee, and we're going to take a nice stroll through who am I when I've failed? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for this place. We thank you for this service. Thank you for this church-like family that you've, you've gifted us, God. And I just thank you that you use me today, God. You, you move in, this, in these words, God. Let them not be mine, but let them be your words. And speak to each of us in a unique way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I was going to look up some statistics, right? I, I like numbers. I like, I like seeing things in, in hard number format, like this percentage or this thing. And I was going to look up, you know, percentages on fear of failure, percentages on, on how many people actually admit they failed, how, many, how people bounce back from failure. I was going to look up these statistics, and then I didn't. And... <laughs> Um, so I made up a statistic for you guys instead. Um, I think it's pretty much just as good as um, a real statistic. And it is that 100% of the people in this room, believe it or not, I polled you when you came in. And you might be like, I came in late. Yeah, we saw you and I polled you. And um, 100% of you have failed at something. 100%. 100% of us have failed. It might be big, it might be small. Maybe everyone knows, maybe you think no one knows. Someone knows, trust me. But we've all failed. You might be like, that statistic seems a little off. And it might be, because I made it up. But you knew that going into it. So take, <laughs> take the statistic for what you want. But failure has a way of trying to define us. No matter how big of a thing it is, no matter how small of a thing, it tries to define us and tries to define where we go moving forward afterwards. There's this commercial that I like on TV, 
And you might be like, oh, cool, came to church, get to hear about commercials. But you do. And so there's this commercial on TV. It's for this restaurant. I know you guys, you guys know how I live in Tulsa, and so I have lots of big city amenities like um, traffic. And this restaurant, you guys don't have any, but we have them there. It's, you might have heard of it. It's called Wendy's. And um, they have, if you ever find your way to the big city, they have square hamburgers, pretty good. And they have a thing they call Frosty. It's not quite ice cream, but it's not quite a milkshake. It's, a, it's real good. I encourage it. Square hamburgers, Frosties, check it out next time you're traveling to the big city. And so there's this commercial for Wendy's, and it's for something called the Biggie Bag. And you might be like, that sounds dumb. You are right. It is called the Biggie Bag, and it contains everything you've ever wanted, right? And you're like, wow, I didn't know Wendy's could do that. They can. That's what they do. It's everything you've ever wanted, right? It's like, I honestly don't remember what else in it. It's just like a bunch of stuff that's going to try to kill us. And so it's like hamburger, you know, you got your drinks, you got your fries, you got chicken nuggets because now they're a side item. I'm not sure when that happened. And uh, so you got everything you've ever wanted, right? In this commercial, the guy sits down on a, on a bus bench. They're waiting for a bus. There's this sad, balding man kind of hunched over on the bench. And he's like, oh, what do you got? He's like, oh, it's got everything you've ever wanted. He's like, everything I've ever wanted? Yeah, right. So the guy starts pulling it out, right? It's like square hamburger, frosty, all this stuff, right? He pulls it out. And then he reaches in just when you think he's done. And he pulls out and he's like, it's even got that second grade spelling bee medal that you didn't win because you couldn't spell soliloquy. And the dude's face like lights up, right? Like the bag truly did have everything he ever wanted. His like posture straightened up. They should have had his hair grow in. They didn't do that. They didn't consult me. Um, I live near a Wendy's. I don't work at one. So they didn't, they didn't ask for my opinion. And so he had everything he ever wanted, right? This, this man, he, he's sitting there. And all he wanted was a square hamburger and that thing that he didn't get in second grade. Now, I like this commercial for three reasons. The first reason is it made me laugh when I saw it, and it still makes me laugh, and it's dumb. That's the first reason. The second reason I like it is because it featured kind of like a sad, hunched-over man that was like a sadder version of George Costanza that I didn't know they could pull off, and they did it in a Wendy's commercial. And then the third reason I like it is because I can pull a biblical truth out of it. So welcome to our At the Commercials series where we pull biblical truths out of present-day commercials. Well, I, I couldn't bring myself to um, spend the hard hours Googling statistics for you guys earlier. I did, I did bring myself to Google failure def and hit enter to get the definition of failure. And I brought a couple of them with me. It says, one definition is a lack of success the omission of expected or required action, or a falling short. Now, in Romans 3.23, it tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So follow my train of thought here. Sometimes they're confusing. One of the definitions is a falling short. And since we fall short of the glory of God, we fall short of his perfect love, his perfect grace, his perfect understanding, we are imperfect because if we fall short of that perfection. And so due to our imperfections, due to our tendency to be humans, due to our tendency to, to mess up, we fail. We do the very thing. We fall short. We hurt. We, we cause hurt. We make mistakes. Other people make mistakes in our lives that affect us. Because the world is imperfect, because the world has fallen, 
failure is a part of our lives. Maybe we failed a test in elementary school, and when we went home, we were expecting our mom and dad to, to tell us it's okay. It's just one test. That's not even gonna be on your report card. It's okay. But instead, maybe when we got home, we got harsh words. We got told that we were dumb. We didn't try hard enough. We didn't study hard enough. Why, didn't, why weren't we smart enough to get the better grade like we should have? And we carry that with us now into our families, into our careers, into raising our own kids. And it happened so long ago, but it's something that sticks with us, right? Maybe, it's, maybe we've failed in a marriage. Maybe we've failed parenting. Maybe we've taken the wrong career path and feel like that's a failure. We feel like we're failing in the one we're in. Maybe we think, maybe we've said, this, this is it. I'm clean this time. I'm drawing the line. I'm good. I'm never going back. And then we fall back in. Maybe it's we yell in traffic at the cars around us and we're like, you know what? No more. I'm not yelling. Those are bad words. I should not say those words, even if they can't hear me. And if I don't care and wish they could. Maybe that's, maybe that's where we fall short, and then it's like, hey, Nathan, it's five o'clock tomorrow, and the guy next to me is an idiot. Can I yell at him? Can I yell at him? And we fall back in. So there's a whole host of things that we can fail at. Maybe it's been some of these things that we've listed. Maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe it's something completely different. And you're probably sitting there, and you're like, wow, this is pretty negative. I wish he could... Uh Wrap this up. Let me um, casually, I'm just stretching my back, but I'm going to check the clock. Ooh, oh, still got some time. All right. Um, maybe my kid's number will pop up on the screen. Maybe they'll act up today. Please. All right. <laughs> but keep with me. I promise. I promise. It, it'll, it'll come around, I, th I think. That's what first service said. It came around. Because, see, it's not the failure that sinks us. Because we all do it. Right? We... We all mess up. And so if, if, if it was the failure that sunk us, none of us would be here. It's not the failure that sinks us and takes us out of the race. It's our emotions and our reactions after the failure that take us out. It's the lies that we let the devil tell us after the failure that brings us down. And so how, how do we continue to move on? How do we continue to move into being the people that God's called us to be? How do, we, how do we pick up the pieces after we failed? Fun answer. We don't. We don't pick up the pieces. And you're like, wow, good. It's only been one more minute since he said the last negative thing. Oh, wow. All right. But see, we don't pick up the pieces. God does. It's not on us. And the scripture I wanna, I wanna use today, I'll give you a quick, just a very quick summary leading up to the scripture. And so we've gotten to the point in Jesus's ministry where he's, he's getting ready to, to be crucified and be sacrificed for, for us. So we're nearing that time and he tells one of his 12 disciples, Peter, hey, I'm gonna be arrested. And when I'm in there, you're gonna deny me three times before the sun comes up, before the rooster crows. Peter's like, no, 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 that's not gonna happen. That's not gonna happen, Jesus. I don't know why I'm telling God what's gonna happen, but it's not gonna happen, Jesus, trust me. So Jesus gets arrested, he's in there in trial, and that's where we pick up the scripture in Matthew 26. It says, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, 
And a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away, right? It's like, dog, we know you're saying a boot in Surrey after everything. Like, we know you're from Canada. You don't have to lie and be like, no, I'm just from Minnesota. Like, no, we know you're from Canada. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now I want to read this in, in one more translation because there's a couple different details in it. In John 18, it says, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. And because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You are one of the man's disciples too, aren't you? She asked Peter, and he replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Let's jump to verse 25. It says, meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it, saying, I am not. And one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. So right here, we've seen Peter fail pretty hard, right? Like pretty obvious failure. He was even, he was warned about the failure. He was like, look, Peter, you're going to fail tomorrow. And Peter's like, no, I'm not. And then guess what? God was right. And he failed the next day. He did exactly what Jesus said. He's yelling at little girls. He is telling the dude's cousin who cut his ear off in the garden. That's a fun story. Come back some other time. Someone will use it. Keep coming to church. And so he, he cut this dude's ear off and his cousin that was with him was like, hey, I saw you cut a guy's ear off for Jesus. And he's like, no, nah, it wasn't me. No, nah, it wasn't me. It was dark in the garden. He, it was a different guy cutting his ear off. Oh, this sword that has blood on it and a little piece of your cousin's ear? No, that's not my sword. That's not me. So Peter's failed pretty hard. If it was Peter's job to pick up the pieces, he'd fail again. He'd find himself in a loop that so many of us can find ourselves in. Maybe we find ourselves in that loop this morning. So let's, we're gonna fast forward to after the resurrection. And so we, we left Peter, right? He, last we saw him, he was, he was crying. He was cussing at little girls. They were around a fire. It was just like a real bad look for Peter. So we're gonna fast forward to John 21. And he's out of fire again, but this time with Jesus. And it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So I always thought this was like a weird exchange, right? Like growing up in church, I heard this story and it was like, was Jesus trying to annoy him? Like, what, like was he trying to like test Peter? Like how faithful are you? Like how many times have you let me ask this question before you slap me? Like, I, like what was Jesus doing here? But see, what he was doing here, believe it or not, Jesus was not trying to be annoying like I thought when I was a child. He was reminding Peter that nothing can change who God's called us to be. Nothing can change that. After Peter denied Jesus, we, we saw that he wept. He was devastated. This guy that he'd sworn his life to, he'd spent the last three years of his life going with him all over the country, walking in sandals and the heat in like weird robes. Like he'd spent three years of his life doing this with Jesus. And this is the guy he just denied, right? We saw him devastated and we saw him fall back into his old ways. His reactions in that moment were reactions from his old ways. And after he failed, he was devastated and he went back to what he used to do. He became a fisherman. He was hanging out with the buddies. He was apparently cussing at little girls. He was doing what he did before he knew Jesus. Because when we don't know who we are after a big mistake, we return to what we do know. You see, it wasn't the failure that got him. Jesus knew he was gonna fail. Right? Jesus told him before it happened, hey, you're gonna fail. And he didn't say, you're gonna fail, so get out. He just said, hey, you're gonna fail. You see, it wasn't the failure, it was his reaction afterwards. It was the lies that he let get planted in his head. Because like Pastor Darian said earlier in the series, what we think about ourselves shapes how we feel and what we believe. Peter let what he thought he was in that moment, a failure. He'd let Jesus down. He didn't stand up for what he believed in. And he thought he was a failure and he started living his life accordingly. He started going, he was like, you know what? Jesus doesn't want me in the ministry anymore. I'm just gonna quit because I, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough to, to stand up for him, so he doesn't want me. He doesn't want me being a part of that. And he started believing that he was the failure that he did. Now I'm gonna get what some might call vulnerable for a couple minutes with you guys, if that's okay. Um, I don't care if it is, I am. And so I don't do it very often. Um, there's a lot of times like in my, in my household that, that my wife will be like, hey, are you hungry? Because it's dinner time. And I'll be like, ah, if you're hungry, sure. And she's like, no, I didn't ask if you wanted to eat, if I was hungry. I asked if, I, if, if you were hungry. I was like, I mean, I, if you're hungry, I could eat, I don't know. And I could go like all day not eating because I'm just like, I don't know, just whatever you want. Like, and so I don't, I don't like to talk about like what I, even literally levels of hunger. I don't like talking about my feelings. And so... 
there's a there's been a couple moments in my life that that I look at as failures. I, I look back at and I, and I I feel like I failed pretty hard in those moments. The first one is that is where I went to school, where I went to where I went to college, because I wanted to go to a school called Belmont in Nashville, Tennessee. And you're like, you look like you'd want to go to Nashville. I know, I know, I do. I was going to go to Belmont. I had my sights set on Belmont. To, it was a private school, and they had a class that you could learn how to use the bell tower. You spent a semester learning how to use their, like, 100-year-old bell tower on campus. I was like, I'm in. So I, I toured it. I, I applied. I got in. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to learn how to run a bell tower. This is going to be me. Just, I mean, I already slouched, so I'm on my way to Notre Dame. And so... I was ready, I was going, I, I, like I said, applied, got in, then it was time to apply for scholarships because we're not independently wealthy, and I applied for scholarships, you know, I don't even know what I did for him, probably to write essays, he always had to write, he always had to write, so I wrote essays, right, turned it in, and I was feeling pretty good about it, because I was like, this is it, bell tower, I bought a t-shirt with, this, with the university on it, I gotta go there now got back the notification of, of the scholarships I was going to get. Let's just say um, I could have maybe afforded to climb like two of the stairs in the bell tower. That's, that's where the scholarship was. And so I had to reevaluate my options because in that moment, I didn't achieve the goal that I wanted. I felt like I'd fail. And shortly after that, I got a I had, I had interviewed and I'd gotten a scholarship that was a, a full ride scholarship, books, housing, food, everything to Rogers State University in Claremore. And you're like, wow, that failure did not last very long. Like, thanks for the hope. But see, I didn't see that as a victory. Should I have seen that as a victory? Yes. Should I have seen that as, as God being like, hey, um, you know, you wanted this door, but you know how I kept it locked and then you tried it and then I like put one of those like metal bars down in front of it and then I locked it and then we got those like pointless little chain locks that they have in like New York City apartments and movies where you do like eight of them and then I did that to it and you still, you're trying to get, get there. But see, this door over here, I, I took the door off the hinges. It's just a doorway that you have to walk through. Should I, should I have seen it as that? Is God saying, clearly, this is not the path. This is the path. I should have seen it that way. But I did not see it that way. I saw it as I was a valedictorian that had worked very hard, right? I worked very hard. You might call me a nerd. And I tried and I applied and I finally found something I wanted to do. They had they had a music business degree, not just a business degree in a music city. They had a music business degree that was going to go get in. I was going to get that degree. I was going to leave you all in the dust here in Pryor. I was going to be in Nashville. It was going to be great. And instead, I'm going to go 20 minutes to a school that was a junior college 10 years ago that my friends literally took classes at during high school. That's where, that's where I'm gonna go to school now. 
you might see why I felt like a failure. I felt like I didn't, I didn't measure up. I didn't, I didn't move off to have some cool college experience like some of my friends moving all over the country. I was here. Where are you going to school? I heard you talking about Belmont. You still going there? Uh, mm, nope. Um, that was three years ago when I'm at RSU. So um, that's where I am. But see, going to RSU turned out to be pretty good because like I said, it was a, a full-ride scholarship. I was blessed in that way. I was able to stay close to, to my family, to my grandparents. I was able to stay close to church. I, I had come here in, for youth group in high school and I, I started coming on the weekends when I went to school there. I, I got plugged in more here. I, I got closer to the pastors here. I, I started getting closer to other people on staff and, and cultivating those relationships. Eventually, the, the woman that is now my wife went to school there on the same scholarship. So I got to, got to get closer to her, which would not have been possible if I went to Nashville. And you might be like, wow, I really turned around. Good, good for you, good for you. So as I said, I got closer to my pastors and it kind of, kind of cultivated me and grew me right into my next failure, which was starting something called a young adult ministry here. And you might be like, oh, young adult ministry. Yeah, it's Post 1-8, right? That's what Taylor talks about. It's, a, it's his thing, right? You're right. You're right about that. Post 1-8 is Taylor's thing. And it's a young adult ministry. Mine was before that. It was called The Bridge. It started in Rachel Strange's living room as a life group for some of the, the older kids in the, in the youth group that were then gonna, gonna be starting college and stuff like that. And I got asked to head it up, join staff, and, and make it into a weekly service on Wednesday nights for other, other kids that were like me that were maybe nearing the end of high school or, or out of high school that, that wanted to come but couldn't come to youth service because it was like a bunch of like little kids. And then they didn't want to come to weekend service because, I mean, you guys are so young. And so they wanted to have their own service, right? So I got asked to head it up. I'd never preached before. I'd never done anything like that. And I was like, yeah, sounds great. Sounds awesome. Joined staff, met a bunch of friends, got a team with some cool people. Started out great. Started out great. Numbers, it was growing, it was growing. Had people all over, from all over prior coming to it. And it was great. It was fun. Most people said they were, they were like tolerating my messages, except for this one guy, I asked him once, and he was like, nah, didn't really enjoy it. I was like, all right, thanks, that was me. That was me, I don't, I don't know. I'm the one asking, and I, I just wanted a yes that was good. That's all I wanted. But then attendance dropped. Then attendance dropped in the youth group, because see, we took some of the older ones away that were still coming to youth group and had friends that were younger, so they were like, well, I can't hang out with my friends. So I'm just gonna stay home where I can't hang out with my friends. And then the numbers started dwindling. So I wasn't just hurting my ministry. I saw it as I was hurting the youth group. So what we intended for growth, what we intended to, to spark new life and grow the church seemingly to me became a loss. And I looked at it as it was all my fault. 
I shouldn't have taken the staff position. I wasn't ready. I was too young. I didn't know what I was doing. Clearly, they don't like my messages. They told me. It's bad enough that he's telling me they don't like my messages. I wasn't capable of leading it. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't the right person. Maybe, maybe if Rachel had kept doing it, because they were going to her living room, maybe, maybe if she was the one doing it instead of me, it would, it'd probably be growing. It's probably me. And so I stepped down. I somehow graciously was not asked to step down. They didn't kick me out. I made that decision. I put it on me that I was the reason it failed. And that thought followed me for a while. It still still tries to pop its head up every once in a while. But I finally let God show me the good things that he brought me through that time. Obviously, I, I, I was tangentially aware of the things he brought me. But until I I sat down and let him tell me the good things that he gave me from that experience, I wouldn't be here if I hadn't accepted that position. Because like I said, I'd never preached before. I didn't I didn't want to be on stage talking in front of people. Like you guys are all looking at me. That's awful. He 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 grew me in, in learning how to listen to him. And, and try to gather some thoughts that I can then spit out and let you guys know more of his heart. He let me, he gave me the confidence to be on a stage in front of people, even though I, I barely have the confidence to talk to you one-on-one off the stage. He, he gave me these gifts. He grew me in those things that wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't ever started the bridge and then seeing what happened to it. Now, God didn't make me fail. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, I'm not saying he made me fail. And I'm not saying he put me in that position thinking, oh yeah, I'm gonna put him here. Then he's gonna fail. And then it's gonna be great. And then he's gonna, he's gonna be mad at me for a little bit. And then, then I'll get to work. That's not what he did. He put me there and I did fail, but that's not why he put me there. He didn't bring that on me. I'm a human. I made mistakes. I fell short, like we talked about earlier. But see, he came to the campfire. He sat down with me, like he did with Peter, and he said again and again and again, do you love me? And he reminded me of who I am of who he created me to be, of the giftings and the callings that he's put on my life. He reminded me that just like it says in Genesis, so God created mankind in his own image that he created me. He reminded me of what it says in 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The one who called us out of darkness. The one who called us out of our failure. That called us out of that moment that tries to peek its head back up and remind us of what it thinks we are. We have this scripture telling us who God says we are. Nothing we can do, 
nothing we've done in the past, nothing we might do in the future. Nothing can take his love away. Nothing can take away who we are. In Ephesians 1.5, it says, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. It's his will. He didn't do it because he had to. He didn't sacrifice Jesus because he was obligated to. He did it because he wanted to. He wanted that relationship with us. He didn't, he, believe it or not, this scripture happened before whatever you think made you a failure happened. He wrote these words down. He gave these words to us before we were anywhere close to existing. He put these words there for us. See, the enemy wants to separate us. The enemy wants to divide us from God. Because if he can do that, remember, we go back to what we know. If he can divide us from God in those moments. If he can get us, hey, just, just, it's just one Sunday. If he can get that thought, just one Sunday, just stay home. It's not a big deal. You, you, you earned it. Do you remember what you did yesterday? You deserve it. You just stay home. And then it happens again. It happens again. And that distance between us and God grows. He gets us to stay home from that life group that way. He gets us to, to not open that Bible app and, and, and read scripture for the day. He gets that gap in there to try to divide us from God. But see, when we fail and we draw close to God, he reminds us that we're royal. He reminds us that we're chosen, that it was his pleasure and will that called us. And nothing can change that. In Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, it says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Nothing we do can take away the gifting and calling of God. Nothing we do, that's what irrevocable means. Nothing can change the men and women that he's called us to be. Nothing can change the parents he's called us to be. Nothing can change the children he's called us to be. Nothing can change the person he's called us to be in the workplace. Nothing can change the person he's called us to be as a neighbor. Nothing can change who he's called us to be in serving him in the church. Nothing can change that. See, I, I, I thought I'd failed, right? I, I, I stepped out of that moment where I was, I was writing a message every week where I was preaching. I stepped out of that and thought I was done. I was just, just gonna drum. That's all I was gonna do. But here I am because the giftings and the callings of God are irrevocable. I, he doesn't define me by my failure. So when we look at whatever that thing is, whatever that thing was in our lives, no matter how long ago it was, no matter how small or how big it was, that thing isn't who we are. Peter wasn't the guy that denied Jesus. Peter also in, a, in an earlier story decided to, to walk on water with Jesus and he started to and then he got scared and he started to sink. But, but that's not who Peter is either. Peter's the guy 
that he wanted to use to spread his gospel. That's who Peter was. Peter was one of the 12 disciples. That's who Peter was. We go through the Bible because it's just a story of, just a story of humans, right? It's just humans doing God's work. That's all, that's all the Bible is, pointing to Jesus. And, and we see all these people. And when we think of Moses, we don't think, oh, Moses, he's the guy that, that, that murdered the Egyptian. We think of Moses as the guy that led his people out of slavery. We think of Moses as the guy that God spoke to and gave the Ten Commandments. That's who we think of with Moses. David wasn't the guy who, who did all the things that he did that, that cheated on his wife and killed the woman's husband and did all these things. That's not who David is. David is a man after God's own heart. That's who David is. And that's who we are. We aren't our failures. We aren't that thing that tries to nag at us. We are chosen. See, Jesus knows who we are. And he brought us here, brought us here this morning around this, around the fire. And he's saying, do you love me? That's what he's asking us. He's asking us, do you love me? And he's not asking us over and over and over again because he doesn't know the answer. He's doing it so that we will know the answer. That's why he's asking us, so that we can say it and that we can believe it. That's why he asked Peter and that's why he's asking us, is that we aren't what happened, we are who he says we are. That's who we are moving forward. We are his children, we are his beloved, and we are his chosen people through his pleasure will. Let's pray. You have been listening to a YPC podcast. Visit our website at ypcprior.com to hear more.